WAER Sports proudly presents the Ostrom Avenue Podcast. And Syracuse has knocked off NC State 24-9. The students rush the field. The Orange are bowl eligible in 6-0 for just the third time in the last 87 years. Syracuse stops out the Spiders. It took overtime to do so, but the Orange claim the first semifinal of the Empire Classic 74 to 71. Breaking down the orange every week. Syracuse's defense dropped by 20 spots on Ken Palm last night. So that was really embarrassing. I think Malik Brown should be getting more minutes. He shows the energy. I think he brought energy when he came to the floor. And talking with the industry's experts. We're joined by a very special guest and a friend of the podcast, Brent Axe. We now have the pleasure of being joined by David Thompson from the USA Today Network. We're joined by a very special guest. It's former SU men's lacrosse star and current ESPN analyst, Paul Carcaterra. It's the Ostrom Avenue podcast from WAER. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Ostrom Avenue Podcast. Today is Thursday, November 9th. My name is Ethan Frank, joined as always by Jordan Leonard. Jordan, how are you doing? I'm doing good, and we wouldn't be here without the uh, our great sponsors, Empire Hearing and Audiology. I mean, we just love those people over there. I'm doing great. You know, I think it was snowing yesterday, Ethan. I think it was snowing. That's it was it that's was how, weird. That's it how was, cold it was. Gotten. It was like sleeting. It was weird. Uh, recording this on Thursday had some uh, a little scheduling issues, but don't worry, it'll be here in plenty of time for your weekend listening before Syracuse football takes on Pittsburgh at Yankee Stadium this week. But let's start with basketball. Jordan Syracuse is two and zero in the Adrian Autry era after wins over New Hampshire and Canisius. Uh, margin of victory: eleven points over New Hampshire, twelve. <laughs> points over Canisius probably a little too close for comfort but the orange got it done there are questions there are some answers what are you feeling right now with Autry's squad yeah it's it's a it's a big mixed bag in my opinion they showed stretches where they can play well that second half stretch yes on Wednesday against Canisius where they had a 12-0 run and they've showed stretches where they can play good defense they've also played bad defense and at times as well so it's a big mixed bag i think adrian autry put it well in his press conference that they've they've played well in stretches they need to get that consistency down but i think we forget how young this roster is you have the five sophomores five or six sophomores coming back and those are really your guys that are playing a bunch of minutes that were on this team last year so I feel like we forget how young they are and that it's going to take a couple of games for one, them to get used to their sophomore season and, and kind of put those adjustments that they made in the off season to 2023, but also get used to Adrian Autry's playing style. Last year, they come out in the two to three zone and, and they're running kind of that Jim Beheim offense. Now they're adjusting to what Adrian Autry wants to do on a consistent basis. Yeah. You look at only eight guys played last night and Autry said that, you know, he wanted to go deep into the bench that did not happen last night. And maybe that's a product of Benny Williams continuing to, to be serving a, a suspension for a violation of team rules. He's now missed one exhibition in two regular season games, but you look, you know, Kyle cuff was the eighth man. He only played nine minutes. This is his first season with Syracuse off the bench. You had Malik Brown who played 22 minutes, sophomore quarter Copeland played 16 minutes, sophomore. And then the starters, Judah Mintz is a sophomore. J.J. Starling's a sophomore in his first year of the program. Justin Taylor, a sophomore. Chris Bell, a sophomore. And Naheem McLeod is, is a transfer junior. So it's it, it's a very young group. But when you look at the floor, I, I think there are you know, a couple of the main takeaways I had from last night's game and listening to you and, and Zach Goldman on the double overtime after the game. I thought the best take I heard all night was that Justin Taylor should be in the starting lineup the rest of the season um, and that he should continue to be in the starting lineup, whether Benny Williams plays or not. Um, I, 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 you know, I've, I've proclaimed to be the, you know, uh, what the, the, the guy, the, the quadrier Copeland guy, uh, or at least one of them. Um, but Justin Taylor is, is definitely a, a close second. You know, the way I've always played basketball, just, I see similar games between Justin and I, uh, I can, I can relate to, to him in that way. And just what he brings, he played, he played the most minutes of anyone on Syracuse yesterday, 38 minutes. And when you compare him to the other wings on this roster, I'm going to eliminate Copeland just because he he's so different. So when you compare Taylor to Bell and to Williams, he's the best rebounder out of all of them. 
had another seven rebounds last night. And he's the most consistent. I know he only went two of six from three, but he has been the most consistent through the exhibitions and through the the two regular season games. And he's the strongest. Uh, Chris Bell, you know, he talked about how he put on 10, 15 pounds in the offseason. He still doesn't doesn't look like he's ready to handle the, the, the wing forward bodies of college basketball, whereas Justin Taylor... He proved last night that he could get to the basket multiple times, finish through contact, um, and that is not something we saw really at all his freshman year. Uh, so no matter if if Benny Williams is going to be in the starting lineup when he comes back from suspension, I think Justin Taylor has to be right there with him, and I would send Chris Bell to the bench. Yeah, I would agree. Chris Bell, if, if, if you put Benny Williams into the starting lineup, Chris Bell is the one to go. Justin Taylor, as I said on our, our Sports Night Basketball Preview Show social content video that's up on at W8Year Sports Talk on X, he's the most improved player. You can you can, you can can make an argument for Quadir Copeland, but for a guy that's going to play a lot more minutes than Quadir, Justin Taylor is the most improved both on defense, on offense. His new three-point shot, it's a little bit different of mechanics this year. He's clearly been in the factory with Jerry McNamara to shore up him himself from downtown. And like you just mentioned, the rebounding is really where he's going to make his bread and butter because – of those forwards, other than maybe Malik Brown, which is more of a power forward, he's going to rebound the ball, and he's the one you can trust to rebound the ball more. And I think if you look at the roster, Justin Taylor is one of the biggest guys that benefits from playing man-to-man defense. I think it fits his game a little bit more, especially on the rebounding front when you go from high school where you don't really play zone to playing zone freshman year. you got to find a guy when the ball goes in the air. Now when you're playing man-to-man, you already know where your guy is to box him out and go get that rebound. And also, it just fits his athleticism a little bit more. He can get up and down the floor. I think that's where his his ability to play both the two and the three is going to shine a lot this year because of that difference in the man-to-man defense versus the zone defense and how Syracuse is going to run things. A couple of lineup notes that I had. I thought, you know, there, there are two interesting things. I'm cu- curious as to whether Adrian Autry will ever go with a lineup that has both Naheem McLeod and Malik Brown in it because Malik Brown at this moment is is just the backup center, the backup big, which I'm I'm fine with. Um, He played 22 minutes and McLeod played the other 18. But will there ever be a situation where he goes to both of them? I mean, neither a shooter. So then the floor becomes very condensed. And that's why, you know, it's probably a lineup you want to avoid. But if you're playing a team with two significant, you know, bigs or, or, or that has a lot of size, maybe there's an opportunity. I'm curious if he'll ever go to that. And then the lineup that stood out to me the most is like, wow, I love watching this lineup. This is a group that really gets me going was Mintz, Starling, Taylor, Copeland and Brown. I mean, those guys got up and down the floor. That's the the unit when Syracuse went on its best run in the second half and got the lead up to 20 at one point. Um, and a lot of that was Judiments just absolutely taking over the game. And finally, you know, I was tweeting from our, our Ostrom Avenue podcast Twitter account at Ostrom Avenue pod. And, you know, Judah was visibly upset that he was not getting any calls, but he wasn't deserving of any of those calls. He was just flying into guys and trying to initiate the contact. He was trying, he wasn't trying to make the basket. He was just trying to get fouled. And when you do that, it usually doesn't end up going in your favor. That's why JJ Starling was getting all these calls. He was actually trying to get to the basket and score, not get to the basket to draw contact. And then when Judamins finally started going to the basket to score is when he started to get rewarded for those calls and and why he was able to take over the game. But that five-man group of Mintz, Starling, Copeland, Taylor, and Brown, I don't know if it's the best lineup Syracuse has, but it was the most fun to watch, especially last night. Yeah, and that's the biggest thing going into the season that I said in the offseason is the versatility of this team, the different lineups that you can put out there to challenge teams in different ways. When you have Naheem McLeod on the floor, they have to, to contend against a guy who's 7-4, both on the offensive side to get offensive rebounds. He had six offensive rebounds yesterday, Naheem McLeod did. And then on the defensive side, he's going to block shots. He had five block shots. Yes, it's against Kanishas, but five block shots in one game in 18 minutes. So you have a, a lineup where you can do that. You have that lineup that you just mentioned where you can get up and down the floor tire a team out at the end of a half or the beginning of a half really put them on their heels so you can balance both of them you can you can give teams two very different looks to really throw them off their game and I think that's going to be what Syracuse needs to do consistently throughout this year they don't necessarily have 
Um, I don't, I, when you get to the ACC play, I don't know if they're necessarily going to be better than um, a bunch of the teams at the top of the conference. But if you can throw different lineups that puts them in on their heels throughout the game, that's really going to where be where Syracuse succeeds. The schedule starts to get harder, though. Colgate comes to the Dome next Tuesday. A team Syracuse has lost to in back-to-back seasons. I will mention the Golden Griffins did beat the Raiders, though, in a secret scrimmage. That could bode well for Syracuse, who just beat Canisius by a dozen. Switching over to football. I mean, only only great things to talk about with this football team. Uh, we talked about it last week with uh, with Scott Mutrin, and... Uh, everything we said pretty much came to fruition. Syracuse lost 17 to 10 at home to Boston College on Friday night. I was in the building. It was, I mean, one of the worst football games I've ever watched. It was ugly. It was gross. Garrett Schrader didn't play for what was said to be an injury. I'm skeptical that it wasn't at a benching because now on the depth chart this week, it says or between Schrader or Carlos Del Rio Wilson. I'm skeptical it was not a performance-based substitution, uh, but we'll we'll never hear that from, from Dino Babers. Um, and it was Carlos Del Rio Wilson threw four interceptions, and Syracuse's offense once again looked terrible, no matter the fact that Jason Beck was standing on the sidelines instead of in the booth. Yeah, it was. I mean, I watched it from the studio and it was as ugly as it was probably at the game watching it on TV. I was glad I wasn't at the game. Anytime your offense throws for 37 passing yards in a single collegiate game is absolutely ridiculous. No matter what team you play or what quarterback you have in the game. I'm sorry, Luke McPhail should be able to throw for 37 yards against the Boston College team. The guy owns almost every record in the Massachusetts high school football like re- record books. The fact that none of the wide receivers had more than 20 yards is an indictment on one, Carlos Del Rio Wilson for, you know, not completing more passes but also the wide receivers not getting open but more importantly i think the play calling from jason beck how you need to design plays you need to get plays for your backup quarterback easy completions in the intermediate passing game and we haven't seen them all year long i haven't seen any positive passing stuff all year long you look back last year to robert and i pat the passing game i mean it has it had its ups and downs, but at least it looked competent. The last like couple of weeks, it's been progressively getting worse. Where you can't even throw for more than forty yards at this point. It, I, but if you ask Dino about it in the press conference, he'll say we tried to get the intermediate passing game going. I, I don't understand. Call baloney. You, I don't understand how you could stand there and tell everyone that, like, just lie to everyone's face, lie to everyone's face that you're you're trying to work stuff in the intermediate passing game. We talked about it with Brennax a couple of weeks ago. It is non-existent. There are no easy throws for the quarterback, and even if there were easy throws, I mean, Carlos Del Rio, Del Rio Wilson has to be one of the more inaccurate quarterbacks I've ever <laughs> seen. Uh, balls were consistent. He's got a gun. It's just not yeah, it's he could, not he accurate. Could throw, he could throw the football. It's just on deep balls, it was consistent overthrows, and then on, on balls toward the sideline, it was just consistently behind receivers and and never in a place where his 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 wideout could go and make a play on the football. The defense, on the other hand, was was strong. Um, they did a good job keeping Syracuse in the game. Justin Barron forces a turnover. Um, but Thomas Castellano, Scott Mutrin mentioned it, you know, the Kyler Murray comparison looked exactly like Kyler Murray just being able to escape so many different situations, pick up key first downs, and let his team on the t- on a touchdown drive when he needed to. I mean, that man is just slippery. He, he you, It's so hard to bring him down. Again, I'm going to say, though, the defense did its job. Boston College, yes, had 185 yards on the ground. That's not great. But they, the defense only gave up 17 points, and the last touchdown came on like an eight-minute drive. So that's not good. But there's only so much you can do when the offense is doing absolutely nothing. I, I don't know what the stat was from this game, but in Virginia Tech, of the 12 drives Syracuse had, seven of them were three and outs. When you're the defense coming off the field and you're you're sitting down probably for about a minute, and then, oh, there's a punt. I got to get back up. You, there's no time to even make adjustments because you're not even on the bench long enough to talk to Rocky Long about it. I, I just feel so bad for this defense. They keep going out, and they're doing enough to keep Syracuse in the game and give them a chance to win later on, and the offense is just like kind of like basically spitting in their face, like, no, we don't want to win. <laughs> it's... It's baffling how how bad things have gone. This team is now four and five. 
and chances of making a bowl game continue to decrease and decrease and decrease. Um, it's, I mean, it, it, it's just, that was one of the games. If you look at the schedule too, other than the pick game this weekend, that was one of the games where Georgia tech's a better team. They, they just, they're, they're one win away from bowl eligibility. They play Clemson this weekend. Wake forest, I think is better than Boston college too. So this was one of the games that at you had home, to win it. you had to have early in the season. This was like, Oh, check off win. And just the way things have gone, as we've talked about the last few weeks, there's no reason to say that Syracuse could win a game against anyone at the moment. If Syracuse played Colgate tomorrow, I don't know if I'd pick them to win. Um, I don't know if I'd go that far. But (laughs) but coming up this weekend, you mentioned it, Pitt, and we got to chat with friend of the program, Noah Hiles from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette to learn a whole lot more about the Panthers and, and Saturday's upcoming matchup, among other things. Hope you enjoy. We are now joined by recurring guest on the podcast. It's Noah Hiles from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Noah, how are you doing on this Thursday morning? Fantastic, fellas. Glad to be back on recurring guest. Wow, I don't I don't know if I have that status with a lot of shows, so what an honor. It's a high honor here on the Ostrom Avenue podcast, and yeah. we're, we're glad to bestow it on you, our, our senior Pittsburgh correspondent. Uh, talking about the Panthers and, and sticking with the theme of football, um, we've talked a lot about how Syracuse has had it, it pretty bad over the past month plus. Pittsburgh might you know, be one of the only schools in the nation that that's had it worse throughout the entirety of this season. Two and seven overall, one and four in the ACC. Uh, only two wins on the season. I mean, just hilariously beat beat Louisville, the number eleven team in the country, by seventeen points, and then up beating Wofford in week one. Otherwise, have lost every other game. I guess you know from a, a season recap perspective, what's going on with with Pat Narduzzi and his his program? Well, I mean, you could start from the beginning of the season, where in the first five games they were starting a quarterback who now plays tight end. Um, I think that's a good way to to kind of capture how bad the offense has been, which I think has been the big problem. Last year, this team was a quarterback away from probably winning 10, 11 games. Uh, and they they went out in the portal and they handpicked Phil Dracovic because of his familiarity with Frank Signetti Jr., the offensive coordinator. They worked together at Boston College. And he was supposed to be the answer. And while this team was losing a lot on the defensive side of the ball, they believed that an upgraded quarterback, a returning, you know, experienced offensive line, an upgrade receiver room, that this this group would probably be better than last year's team. And while on paper you could make that argument, you found out that, man, not only was the offense not any better, it was a lot worse. And that kind of put them in a hole at the beginning of the year where – you know, Pitt's, Pitt's first three games are were winnable non-conference games. And they, they start off with a win over Wofford, and it was all fine. Yay, we beat Wofford, woohoo. Uh, but then you drop one at home to Cincinnati, who I don't think has won a game since that, that contest. And then you lose on the road to your rival at West Virginia in a game where your defense only allowed 212 yards of total offense so you kind of point to the quarterback play then conference play starts you've got North Carolina and you don't want to go into that matchup at one and two and it went as many people expected it and then you go down to Blacksburg Virginia on a Saturday night a tough place to play especially when you're not clicking on all cylinders and just before you know it you're one and five at the bye week and that's the thing uh that I think defines this season is this was supposed to be a team where the offense was going to be better than the defense, which wasn't the case last year. Um, and the offense has been one of the worst offenses in the country. So it's just, it was just been disappointing for a lot of pit fans. Cause this Jakovic story, it's been disappointing for me as a, as a sports writer, because you know, you never want to root for bad storylines, right? You, don't, you, you always want to cover a fun season. You want to, you want to have something positive to write about. And, this Jakovic guy, Phil, he grew up in Western Pennsylvania. He's one of the best high school quarterbacks this area has seen in quite some time. And if you know anything about Western Pennsylvania football, I mean, there, there are a lot of good players who come out of here. 
And I mean, he, he went off to Notre Dame and then he went off to Boston college from Notre Dame and he comes back to Pittsburgh and it was kind of like this perfect story, right? He, he's the missing piece to this program. Kenny Pickett's successor, really get, filling the shoes that Keaton Slovis couldn't and, it, it, hometown guy it's going to be great he has the opportunity to play both boston college and notre dame as two former schools and the dude wasn't even a starter by the time those two teams came up on the schedule because he got benched and moved to tight end uh which was his own call but just kind of a nightmare of a season something that you do not see happen often under pat narduzzi this is only the second time this team's not been bowl eligible under his tenure, and this is the worst start to a season Pitts had since 1998, which I don't think either of you were alive for. So, yeah, it's, it's that's correct. Yeah, it that's is. Correct. It has just been a nightmare season for the Panthers. So, I guess if you look at the the year, obviously the two and seven, what what happened in that Louisville win? Because Louisville is now top 15 in the country beat Duke and then you beat and Pittsburgh beat them by 17. So is there something that clicked in that game that showed some possibility for future success for Pitt? Yeah. I, I'll first off, I'll say this, this team is, should be a lot better than two and seven. I mean, you can point to three games specifically where, you know, they had no business losing these games and they, and they, at, at worst, I think this team should be five and four right now, but I think a poor, you know, job of coaching, I think a little bit and just execution and, you know, some tough breaks and you're, you are where you are, but yeah, that Louisville game, you got to look back in Narduzzi's tenure. This team always upset someone. You go, you go to 2016 when they beat Penn state in the beginning of the season. And that was the reason Penn state didn't make the playoff. You go that same season, they beat Clemson with Deshaun Watson, and they went on to win a national championship that year. Uh, the following season in 2017, they're 4-7 and seven in the final game of the year. They start this freshman named Kenny Pickett, and he upsets number two Miami to end the year. And there's been plenty of other examples. This team, say what you want about Pat Narduzzi, and he says plenty of things for people to say things about him, uh, but he always gets his team going. In these big time games. I mean, you even look at last week, this team was down 10, seven at half to Florida state. And uh, it was still, it was a close game all the way into the fourth quarter. So the Louisville thing, no, it wasn't a fluke. I mean, they came out, they, they ran toe to toe. Now I will say Louisville had some injuries. They had an offensive lineman that ended his season in warmups. I think he like tore his ACL. I believe Jamari thrash was playing that game with like, a, a wrist brace which you don't typically see receivers do I don't think they had their starting running back that game so they the Cardinals were banged up but nonetheless Pitt made the plays that was the first start for Christian Bayer uh Pitt's new starting quarterback and he made the big throws needed to be made um and their defense was just immaculate in the second half they shut Louisville out they not only actually shut Louisville out, they outscored Louisville because MJ Devonshire had a pick six an 84 yard pick six that kind of put things on ice a little bit. So that's what you got there. It's just, it was the first time I think they were playing inspired. It was off a bye. And that's what Pat Narduzzi does. He, when, just when you think his team has no chance, they typically play their best football. It seems, you know, looking at the margin of victory or, or defeat is a good indicator, uh, even though it doesn't tell the full story of the game of, you know, how competitive you are. And, you know, one score games can go really either way. And it's how you do in those one score games that determines how good you are uh, over the course of a season. But interestingly for Pitt, they've only had, you know, two one score losses this year. That'd be six to Cincinnati, four to Wake. Otherwise, it was double digits against West Virginia, 17 against Carolina and, and Virginia Tech and then and and against Florida State and then the 51 point loss to Notre Dame. So I guess, you know, when you look at it, why haven't these games been more competitive as you get into the fourth quarter and why have they kind of slipped away into that, you know, two or three score margin compared to, you know, giving yourself a shot at the end of games like against Wake Forest or against Cincinnati? Well. I would say North Carolina and Florida State, it's just kind of cream rising to the top. You know, uh, Phil Dracovic, who actually did play well at quarterback against North Carolina, got hurt late in the first half. And the second half just got away from the Panthers in that one. Florida State, it was just 
how many teams can really hang with Florida State for four quarters. Uh, the West Virginia one is deceiving. Like, if you go watch that game, and you, even if you look at the box score, a lot of people are going to ask, how in the world did this team lose by double digits? It, it makes no sense. Um, but there's there's a lot of factors that have just allowed Pitt to to underperform. I think one major factor has been penalties. They're the most penalized. Pitt is the most penalized team in the ACC. Uh, I just wrote a, a penalty analysis piece this week. 76% of their offensive penalties occur before the snap. You know, they've been 26 false starts. That's a Syracuse, seven, that's a Syracuse special right there. Seven delay of games. And then on defense, 14% of the first downs they've allowed this year are from penalties. So when your offense is the worst in the ACC and you're giving away multiple first downs a game based off of your own errors, you're not going to win a lot of football games. And that's that's been the killer for Pitt. It's It's been in position to remain competitive. But then on top of maybe not being as talented as it was last year and having to deal with its own schematic struggles and errors, it it goes and shoots itself in the foot with a, a penalty and it turns a third and five into a third and 15, or it turns, you know, a turnover on downs into a 15 yard personal foul first down and, and things like that can make a close game, not a close game. So I guess that would be the number one thing I'd point to other than the obvious things where it's like, this team's just not that great this year, you know? Moving over to the head coach, Pat Narduzzi. We've been having some of these summer, similar conversations with Syracuse in terms of NIL and the transfer portal and how, as a football program, you compete in that realm. I think Pittsburgh, I don't know what they do on the NIL front for basketball, but they brought in a lot of guys in the transfer portal for basketball. What on the football side is is Pittsburgh doing for the NIL and the transfer portal and that stuff? They're trying. Um, I mean, you look at the guys they brought in. They brought in some Key play. This is the second season in a row they found their starting quarterback in the transfer portal. How many teams can say that? I mean, I'm sure a decent amount can, but power five teams that in the last two years won 20 games? I, I don't know. That's that's a pretty rare thing. Um, they just both happen to be big old swings and misses. So that's tough, but they've also made some other big moves for the portal. They brought in a starting receiver, Dejon Reynolds from Florida, and he has a couple of years of eligibility after this season. I think that was a big win. They, they Their leading tackler this season, Donovan McMillan, a safety from Florida, was also a transfer portal guy. So that was good. Um, they What they really did this past year was they went and contacted all of the local kids who went elsewhere guys who were from Western Pennsylvania and for one reason or another, they chose to go play in the SEC or go play at Notre Dame or anywhere else. And they said, Hey, how's that working out for you? You want to come to Pitt?" And their argument at the time was solid. It's we've won 20 games in the last two years. We're back-to-back seasons being ranked. We're not too far away from an, uh, or our, you know, the ACC championship in 2021 and with this expanded playoff format coming up you'd look Pitt hasn't been Pitt's either been top 12 or been close to top 12 quite frequently in the last couple of seasons so there was a lot of credibility to that argument I think they were able to offer a decent financial opportunity to some guys so they've been trying hard they obviously haven't seen the success that the basketball program has had it from quote unquote buying the team as your former head basketball coach said on in ESPN. But you know, that's, that's just how the portal works, man. Sometimes you hit, sometimes you don't. I will say that the other quarterback they brought in through the portal this off season looks to be a really good player. Christian Bayer is the starting quarterback. Now he came over from Penn state, a guy that Syracuse actually heavily recruited when he was in high school, um, and I think that this is probably going to be their starting quarterback for the next two seasons. People are really excited about him. So they're they're trying. They're not a team that's ever going to bring in more than five, six guys max. Narduzzi's obviously an old school guy. He wants to build his program from the ground up with high school recruits. But 
they're not afraid to go out and get somebody if they need to. So you would say it's kind of process over results for Pitt in the transfer portal right now. I I guess by default, you have to say that. I mean, they, they would much rather just be results. Uh, but I mean, you look at like in the past two seasons, if you go back, they're, they're probably their best player on the team, Shane Simon, their starting middle linebacker, their captain. He was a transfer portal guy from Notre Dame. So, I mean, they, they've had successes. It's just their failures stand out a lot more than their successes because they're 0 for 2 on quarterbacks. Now, if Bayer ends up being a really good quarterback, then it's 1 for 3, and it's a little better. So, I don't know if it's process. I think they're, they're, they don't want it to be that. Obviously, they've been trying to get a mixture of graduate transfers and long-term projects. And I would say the long-term guys, the guys who come in with multiple years of eligibility, as opposed to the graduate guys who you're going to plug in and start from the start uh, from the beginning, the long-term guys have panned out a lot better. So the the last few weeks we've kind of, you know, alluded to this, but we've been, you know, having the conversation, Dino Babers talked about, you know, about a month ago at this point that his, his depth got, uh, got bought away. Um, where you have players going to bigger schools that, you know, aren't even playing at this point. Um, And it's just hard to replace that depth. And Syracuse played Boston College last week. We talked about it, you know, BC and Syracuse kind of comparable, but it seems like programs that in the Northeast portion of the ACC, Pittsburgh, Syracuse, Boston College, that the Panthers and the Eagles have been too, that have kind of figured out how to, be a little bit more sustainable and and competitive at times compared to to Syracuse. So when it comes to to NIL and, and things of that nature, what has Pittsburgh done, you know, more than financially to be able to to offer its players different opportunities? Well, one very unique thing uh, at the start of this year, Pitt's collective uh, or its preferred collective uh, alliance four one two they struck a team-wide deal. So every player on scholarship gets something. And uh, I'm not sure if other programs, especially like ones in the same sentence, you know, the Syracuse, the Boston College, are doing that. I think that they're more focused on taking care of the top-end guys. And sure, they might have a little something for the smaller guys, but knowing that, hey, I'm a three-star guy, they pretty much tell me that I'm going to come in here and redshirt as a true freshman, knowing that despite all of that, you got a little something, something coming your way, that that means something to it. And I think that that helps player retention a lot too. If you look, what's ironic, because Pitt probably has the most notable player departure because of NIL in the history of college football, Jordan Addison leaving from Pitt to USC. Uh, that was kind of the first of its kind that occurred since this all became legal. But since then, Pitt's done a pretty good job of not, losing anyone that it really wanted to lose it it if there's a talented guy on this team pat narduzzi the collective they find a way to keep him around um we'll see how that goes this off season when you're coming off what at best will be a five win season will, will probably be a four or three win season um i don't know if they'll be able to retain as many people this year but overall yeah i think the collective is very good at recognizing what Pitt is. They they understand that this program, this collective is never going to be able to outbid Florida State, Miami, you know, or even teams in this area, Penn State. But what it can do is it can solidify a core by paying these guys young, kind of like in baseball, where if you're a small market team, what do you do to have to remain? What do you got to do to remain competitive? You got to lock up your talented players early on. And by doing that, by taking care of them as soon as they get on campus, you're able to establish a good relationship, build that trust. And that trust has to exist with the coaching staff, the collective, with the athletic director, with everything. And I think they do a very good job with that. Again, that's easy to do when you're winning a lot of football games. We'll see what happens this offseason. But I will give props to Alliance 412 for, for getting creative. Uh, another thing they do, I know this has been a little bit of a long-winded answer, but this is something I think that's cool and should be pointed out. 
they created their own marketing firm as a collective, which is a little bit unique um, with the whole purpose of it being, look, we're going to teach you how to become big on social media. So, you know, while, yeah, it's great for a collective to say, here's a nice brand deal. You show up to a couple of charity events, shake some hands, kiss some babies. There's 200K. And don't get me wrong, I'm sure those deals still exist at Pittsburgh, but knowing that you can only offer a couple of those opportunities to your athletes, giving them the resources to build their own branding where brands want to come work with them, I think is another unique effort you're making where it's showing here's how you get your social media followers up. Here's how you get, you see how these deals are coming to Angel Reese or the Cavender twins or, or Brawny or wherever. It's because they have a lot of followers on Instagram. It's because people know them away from the court and you have that same opportunity. You just got to be able to maximize your value. And so the fact that they created their own marketing firm within their collective to a, expand their resources that they've already gained from NIL and B, create re more resources through their own personal branding and image. I think that's those are unique things that not a lot of other people are doing. When you say uh, everyone on the roster getting something, I always turn to Utah giving their almost their, I think right. their entire roster trucks, which, you yes. know, Utah football is on a little bit of a different scale than maybe Syracuse. Well, Pitt was there, I guess, there a couple of years ago. But mm -hmm. um, so shifting off of the NIL conversation to the game itself at Yankee Stadium, not in the dome. What is Pitt's feeling of it being at Yankee Stadium versus the JMA Wireless Dome and just uh, at the game specifically being against Syracuse? Well, first things first, I mean, Pitt's done pretty well against Syracuse. If you look at the matchup history, uh, you could call it a rivalry because they played for a long time, but it's been a very one-sided rivalry. And that's not me trying to talk down on Syracuse. I know, you know, both both teams are limping into this one. It's not yeah. like either one's really a juggernaut that has anything worthy of smack talk. But if you just look at how these two teams have matched up, it's been a pretty lopsided thing. So I think Pitt is... A, just excited to say, okay, we have beat them before. So we know we know we have a chance. It's and, and, five in a row and nine of the last 10. Right. So I think that that's one thing that the Narduzzi and his team can take solace in. It's just, hey, we 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 typically figure this one out. So hopefully, and if they don't, that that's going to be a new low. Uh, just losing to the one team that they typically get, get the job done against. Um, And then the other thing is, Syracuse has little reason to be excited for this matchup as far as the location goes. Um, sure, there are probably more New York guys on Syracuse's roster who grew up Yankee fans, but they just played there last year. So the 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 mystique, the excitement of playing at Yankee Stadium, they've all gone through that, unless if you transferred in or are a freshman, whereas Pitt. This is a unique experience. Pitt hasn't played there since 2016, the Pinstripe Bowl. Um, there's not a ton of New York guys on this roster, but you guys know. I mean, Yankee fans aren't just exclusive to New York. And if you're a baseball fan, you're excited. I mean, hell, I grew up a, a Pirates fan, and I love the game of baseball, and I'm excited because it's 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 cool. And I think when you're 2-7, and seven, you'll take anything that can get your group a little bit of excitement. And especially when you're playing another team, it's it's easy to, to motivate your team when you're playing a Florida State, a Notre Dame, where it's we can ruin their season. We can knock them out of the playoff with a win here. But when you're going up against another team that's on a five-game losing streak, it's like, well, what are we what are we playing for? Oh, so we can be three and seven. But adding in the, the unique venue, I think gives you guys or gives the team a little bit of a jolt. And um, I think they also enjoy the fact that it's taking the home game away from the orange. So yeah, there, I, I think the, the whole location element of this matchup is a, a huge advantage for Pitt. Yeah. Voluntarily giving up a home game is something people have been talking about all season here is why did they decide to voluntarily give up a home game in November when Dino Baber is in his eight seasons, his, his road record is, is notoriously not good as you get later into the season, unless it's, I, I think, I, I think the number I said is like six road wins 
maybe over October, yeah. November with- in the ACC, and the, and three of them are at Boston College. Like it's like, uh, it, it was it's a very interesting decision. I know it's to try to you know grow this Orange United brand, the the collective they're starting, and and a lot of other things. But it seems very curious that you would you would give up a home game against a team that is that has had your number in recent years. And just last November, when you played them outside, uh, embarrassed you and your offense looked like 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 trash for for most of that game. And now there's uncertainty of who Syracuse is going to start at quarterback uh, because of injuries or performance issues um, and, and whatnot. No, you've seen a lot of the the ACC this season looking at, at the conference as a whole. Uh, how real do you think the ACC is? And in, in terms of teams you've seen like Carolina or, or Florida State, um, do you think this is a good bounce back season for for the conference or is it more of just, you know, kind of the status quo we've seen over the past few years? I think it's probably it's better than it was last year, I would say. Um, like, I think Clemson's a better team than its record indicates. If you look at how it played Florida State, uh, it's lost to Duke at the beginning of the season. Doesn't seem so embarrassing now. You even look at that Duke team, you wonder what its record would be if Riley Leonard was healthy the whole year. You know, there there are there are a lot of decent teams. Louisville has been a pleasant surprise that looks to be legit. You don't get the number 11 by a fluke, even if your only loss is to Pitt. So yeah, I, I think the conference as a whole looks a lot better. Florida State is every good as there's every bit as good as advertised. Uh they that team came in here without its two starting receivers. Um, obviously, it was a close game against Pitt, but just looking at them, looking at them warming up, you're like, oh, this is this is a different type of caliber opponent. Um, so, yeah, I, I think the league as a whole is in a decent spot. I think that there are certain teams in this league that do NIL really well, and they do the transfer portal really well, and that's going to benefit the league as a whole moving forward. So obviously we haven't talked to you in, in about a year and the, the league has expanded since then, adding Stanford, Cal, and SMU. From your Pittsburgh perspective, what is what are the opinions on on conference expansion in the ACC? Are you excited to have Stanford, Cal, and SMU? And I don't know if you can call it the Atlantic Coast Conference anymore, but the yeah. All Coast Conference? Buddy, I'm excited. Are you kidding me? I get to go to California. <laughs> like, why would I not be excited about that? Who, I don't who, think who's on Pitt's schedule next year? Um, their only road game, it's, it's, I think like Stanford's coming here or Cal is coming here, okay. but they go to SMU. So, and then for basketball or whatever, yeah, I, I, sign me up for more road trips. I'm all for it. I'm not paying for it. I get paid to go on vacation. That's sweet. And all I do is write a couple stories. I would do that anyway. You know, like this is awesome for me. Uh, overall, logistically, I don't think it makes a ton of sense. Uh, and I, I don't think I'm the only one in that boat, but was it a move that needed to be made? Possibly. Uh, it certainly adds more revenue to the grant of rights, which is what everyone was crying about this summer. Uh, ironically enough, the, the three people who are crying most about it seem to be the most upset about this move. Uh, and I and I will say one thing that the ACC should be commended on is they've made this as as little inconvenient as possible for the original member schools. Uh, the fact that you only have to take one trip out west every two seasons is big time. You know, I mean that's that's something you didn't need, need to worry about now because that's no different really than just scheduling like Oregon. And your non-conference. Um, and I even think for basketball, being able to just go out there for one week, you knock out San- Syracuse or Stanford, excuse me, on a Wednesday, and then you play Cal on a Saturday. That's not so bad. Like it, they've made it very manageable. Now, who it's not manageable for, in my opinion, are the two West Coast teams, Cal and Stanford. I don't know how in the world you recruit people <laughs> to, to sign up for that travel schedule, but that's not the problem for these member schools. That's they just wanted more money and they got it. And it came at very little inconvenience overall, I think. 
So you mentioned basketball there. I think we talked enough football. Let's let's do a little bit of basketball before we wrap up. I know, you know, we were talking a little bit earlier. I don't think the question is, you know, if Pittsburgh fans are ready for basketball to start. It's, you know, how excited are they for for this Panthers basketball season after the success of last year? A dominant 100 to 52 win over North Carolina A&T in the uh, the opener on Monday night. So what are the expectations for for Jeff Capel's squad here? Uh, this season and and how ready are these fans to to continue to back the Panthers after the success of last year? Oh, I mean, everyone at Pitt, from people in the athletic office to people who cover the team to fans and everybody, it's it's basketball season, and it should be because this is this is a team that fans should be legitimately excited for. Now, we'll, we'll, do I expect that that the Panthers will win the ACC this year? No, but last year's turnaround was huge for Capel's program. If you look what he inherited from Kevin Stallings, it was the worst basketball program in the ACC. And it took him a while to build it up. But for them to get to the tournament last year in the fashion that they did, it was really exciting to cover. And this year, it's about building something sustainable. Because those those veteran guards who were all brought in one way or another through the portal, they're no longer around. And there's really only one senior on scholarship on this team. So everyone else is going to be back theoretically next season. So if they can have a good year and get back to the dance in 2024, it's not just a one-year fluke anymore. It is basketball's back at Pitt. And that's been something that this city's really been missing. You know, when I was growing up, Pitt basketball was the hardest ticket to get in town. And this is when the Penguins were winning cups with Sidney Crosby. This is when the Steelers were in the height of their powers with Ben Roethlisberger and Paul Amalu. And, you know, everyone could get tickets to a Pirates game. Uh, but yeah, th- this was this was the toughest ticket in town was Pitt basketball with the Big East and Jamie Dixon and the Oakland Zoo. And that went away and a lot of people just assumed it was never going to come back. And the fact that this team has legitimate talent returning, it brought in two solid players from the portal and it had a top 25 recruiting class headlined by a kid who dropped a triple double in his first career collegiate game Monday at point guard. There's a lot of reason to be excited. And again, I'm not sitting here saying they're going to go toe to toe with Duke or they're going to pull a Miami and go to the final four, but back-to-back tournament appearances would be the major, major thing for this program. And I think it's well within reason to expect it. You mentioned a lot of the turnover. I'm looking at the roster real quick, Blake Hinson and my guy Federico Federico. um, And then the, the Graham twins look like the, to be the kind of the main returners who you mentioned the triple double who on this roster are you looking forward to most to seeing this season that maybe Syracuse fans didn't see last season. That's the guy you got to focus on. His, his name's uh, Carlton Carrington. He goes by the nickname Bub. That's what we all call him, Bub Carrington. Um, this is a guy that I do not think will be a pit for four years. I, I I won't be shocked if one or two years from now he's playing in the NBA. He's six foot five. He's long, and he was someone that stood out. They went to Spain this summer, and he was starting at point guard in Spain, and we're like, really, Carrington? Interesting. Um, cause I think he would, he was number 92 in the country in the top 100 ratings, a guy who's one spot ahead of him is also on this team, Jalen Lowe. So we, we were kind of wondering who, how that guard rotation would work because Dior Johnson's no longer around and he was supposed to be the starting point guard, but for Carrington to come in and we got a couple of open practices where we got to watch. And I remember looking at a couple of writers saying like, the kid looks pretty good. You know, I'm I'm interested to see how he does. And then they had a scrimmage against Georgetown that was closed off. But you look at the box score and you're like, this dude put up numbers. And then you saw the scrimmage against Pitt Johnstown, a Division II team, and he looked really good in that. And we're like, oh, okay. And then when it starts for real, I don't I don't care who you're playing. If you get a triple double, that's a really really impressive effort. And it was a very smooth triple-double. He assisted the first four baskets of the game. I think he had seven rebounds before halfway through the first half. And his impact's just everywhere. And it's it's not like a Russell Westbrook triple-double where he's like hunting for boards. He's forcing assists. 
he really only did that on the final assist of the game because they were telling him to do it. So he's someone that I think can be probably one of the better guards Pitts had since the Jamie Dixon era. And even in that era where you had a lot of really talented players, he has the ceiling that I don't think many Pitt players have had. And it's kind of fun because you didn't, he probably wasn't even the headliner in this recruiting class, but man, does it look like they have someone special at point. The orange and the Panthers match up twice this year as they do every year. Tough timing on, on both of the games. I would say they play in Syracuse right before new year's. So there'll be no students on campus for that game. Uh, very similar when they played last year, they played December 20th pit, you know, swept the orange uh, last season. Um, and then they play just a couple of weeks later at uh, at the Pete on January 16th, it is, I believe, which I think is right after Martin Luther King Day. Um, so people should be back on the Pittsburgh campus, I would imagine, for that one. Um, and uh, Pitt absolutely stomped Syracuse last February uh, in, in in the Steel City. Uh, Noah, any any departing thoughts before before we let you go? I feel like I have to ask you about this Diamondbacks hat you're wearing. You, you yes, you outed yourself as a as a Pirates fan, but you're here wearing a Diamondbacks hat. What's that all about? So one of my best friends from college. You guys are college radio buddies. My college radio buddy works for the Arizona Diamondbacks. So when I was, I went to a Diamondbacks game this summer and he took me through a tour of their front office and I saw this hat. This is what they give their interns, class of 2023. And I said, I'm taking this. And he said, go for it. So I grabbed it. And, um, you know, I, I have a lot of, where I went to school, Mountain Union, it has a really good sport business program, sport management program. I have friends that work in front offices all over the country. Uh, so I've got a lot of Detroit Lions gear because one of my best friends works for the Lions and then another one of my best friends works for the Diamondbacks. So early on this year, put a nice little future on them to win the National League. And uh, I bet I've been a big fan of their run uh, all October. I watched every single game and I was tweeting about it and it, it was really cool. And it's it's cool to find a random team to root for and that team goes on a run. But it's even cooler to do that when you know one of your best friends is benefiting from the success, seeing that stadium filled up. His job is to fill the stadium and to see that place packed and rocking like it was in October. It was really special for me. So, yeah, I try to wear this hat anytime I can give him a little bit of a shout out. So I, I wore it all October. Also, I, it's early morning. My hair is kind of a mess. I just grab this because it was nearby but i do like to give my boy aj jolly a shout out if you ever need diamondbacks tickets he's the one to go to well that's that's a great story you know yeah. we're all wearing hats this morning i wore my chargers hat because they got a big <laughs> win over jordan's jets this week but uh there you go. It's, it's it's a hat morning especially here in syracuse noah where can people where can people find your work read your work uh ahead of saturday's game you can follow me on Twitter at underscore Noah Hiles. That's N-O-A-H-H-I-L-E-S. And you can read all of my work at post-gazette.com. Newspaper's been around a while. I think 1792 is when it was founded. So, you know, you could find it if you want to. Yeah, that's a, that's a long time ago. Noah, always <laughs> yeah. appreciate you joining us and uh, looking forward to seeing you at the game on Saturday. Absolutely. See you guys there. Thank you so much again to Noah for his time. Always great chatting with him. And thank you to Empire Hearing and Audiology, friends of the program, friends of ours. Thank you very much for your support of the show. A lot of interesting things he mentioned. Um, I got to touch on some basketball there at the end, which I know excites all of us because we are just could not be more ready for basketball season. So, Jordan, based on what Noah was talking about, how do you see Saturday's game playing out? Ah, it's it's going to be a baseball score. There's a reason this game's at Yankee Stadium. I could see like a 9 to 3, a 9 to 6 game. And no, not the legit awesome game that Alabama and LSU played like a bunch of years ago when it was 9 to 6. A really ugly 9 to 6 game is is how I see it going. I mean, both teams' offenses are atrocious the defenses are better are better than average, but they're not great. So, I I just think it's going to be an ugly game to watch. I, I, I'm, it's so, it's so gross. It's, it's disgusting. <laughs> I wonder uh, what the weather is going to be like. The I weather... checked it. I think it's going to, I don't think it's going to be like raining or snowing, but I think it will be in like the forties or the low fifties. So I don't oh, think geez. it's going to be warm. 
Um, I'm just pulling up the odds right now at the moment. I see Pittsburgh fa- two and seven. Pittsburgh is favored by three points over legitimately over legitimately four, over four and five Syracuse. The over under is thirty seven and a half right now. It's like a uh, Big Ten. It's like a Big Ten football game between Iowa and Northwestern. Oh, that was that was much lower. Uh, that was what like thirty and a half. <laughs> that was, was thirty over-under. and a half. Yeah. Um. I, and and you know we've we've been doing predictions on the show the past few weeks, um. And I've said it before. I'll say it again. I have no reason to believe that Syracuse can win a football game right now against literally anyone. So with that, Jordan, where are we at Ostrom picks with three games to go? Well, so right now you had that one week where you were an exempt. So we both have the same win total, but I have three more losses. So mm. you're at a 750 win percentage. I'm at 667. So I think that's a, a two and a half game lead for for Ethan with, you know, including the Pittsburgh game, three games left. Well, I, and so two and a half pick lead, I guess you would say, because we have nine total yeah, picks pick. to go. Yeah. Um, so as the, tra- I'll let you go first as the, uh, a- as the underdog, as the, the, the trailer right now, uh, what, what, what are you feeling in this game? I know you think it's going to be low scoring, so I'm guessing you're picking the under, but yeah, I mean, so what Pittsburgh's favored by two and a half. I mean, three. you I just see three, three. So you, you just look, look at both teams. Syracuse over the last five weeks has been pretty much destroyed except you know the boston college game was close you look at pittsburgh yes they're two and seven they did beat louisville but they only lost they they only lost they lost by 17 to florida state but it was it was a close game throughout they showed fight more fight than syracuse has shown in the last couple of weeks so i gotta go pit to win and to cover and i mean like i said it's gonna be a baseball score the under is absolutely gonna hit it's 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 a lock I'm also going to take Pittsburgh. I wish it was two and a half. I could totally see them winning by three points in this game, but uh, I'll take, I'll take Pittsburgh to cover to win and the under as well. Um, It just, it it just makes so much sense. Uh, So it's a baseball score. Do you think there'll be any famous Yankees at this game uh, since the game's being played at Yankee stadium? I mean, you know, if they're paid to go, maybe. But I mean, if you look at if you look at both these teams, if I'm a famous Yankee, I don't know if I want to go watch this football game. But are there any? Is there, are any, any, are there any Yankees, Yankees that, right that went to Pittsburgh or went? Definitely not. Well, they wouldn't have gone to Syracuse. <laughs> definitely wouldn't have gone to Syracuse. Um, I don't think so. I don't think Garrett so. Garrett Cole but... used to play in Pittsburgh. That's fair. That's fair. They, he might be there. Um, there'll probably be a couple people that we recognize that are there. But I mean, talk about talk about. <laughs> Talk about it. Just you got the bad teams. You got the the cold weather and you're in the Bronx. I mean, it's just a combination. Syracuse must have really gotten a great deal to go play this game at Yankee Stadium. I don't see any uh, Yankees that played at the University of Pittsburgh. So unfortunately, I, that's out the window. Yeah, yeah. there must have been a great deal. Uh, must be first. I think Jim Beheim will be there. I do also. I do think Jim Beheim will be there. He's at most games, but uh, he was there. Well, they're hosting. They're hosting an event on Friday yes. in the city. I think. Yeah, I think that's a lot of what this is for. There's some New York City events for alumni. Uh, alumni stuff. Uh, that will do it for this episode of the Ostrom Avenue podcast. I mean, this might be the busiest week in WAER history, the way things have gone. Men's game on Monday, men's game on Wednesday. we got sports night on Friday night from 8 to 9 p.m. with Jordan. He'll be joined by Tyler Aiken, and I'll be calling in myself. Basketball, you know, preview show, previewing the whole rest of the season and going over these first two games for the Orange after the wins over New Hampshire and Canisius, that's from 8 to 9 p.m. on WAER. Then Saturday, football, 3.30 kickoff, countdown to kickoff at 3, the double overtime until 8.30. I'll be hosting that live from Yankee Stadium with Jack Gordon. It will be a very fun time. Uh, we hope to hear you call in and give your thoughts over what might be a sixth straight loss for Syracuse. Uh, an interesting stat I found, actually. In six of eight seasons as head coach at Syracuse, Dino Babers has had a at least a four-game losing streak. Six oh, of eight years he's had a four-game losing streak. At well, least. this was this what this four-game losing streak this year, which has now been into a fifth, was the worst because you know the 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 uh, of point the margin differential of the, defeat, of the yeah. margin of defeat. But isn't that yeah. crazy? A four-game losing streak in six of eight years as head coach. Uh, that so, basically uh, what I'm hearing is, I mean, I'm not, not necessarily saying about the other years. Cause you don't know when that four game winning losing streak happened, but the last two years, Syracuse, but a big tease, they, they show good, they show good. And then all of a sudden 
bang. Yeah, I think they, oh, the only years down. the only years there wasn't one was 2018 and I think 2021. 2021 was a couple of three game losing streaks. Uh, yeah, that, that that ended up being the downfall. Well, the three game losing streak right. that where they had three chances to clinch a bowl game right. in 2021 ended up being the downfall for the Orange. Um, you can check us out on social media at W8ER Sports at W8ER Sports Talk at Ostrom Avenue Pod. You'll see our, our lovely video interviews up on YouTube, the Ostrom Avenue Podcast YouTube account. All right. We'll be back next week recapping the Pittsburgh game, recapping Syracuse against Colgate next Tuesday, and then previewing the last couple of football games and before Syracuse men's basketball heads off to Hawaii for the Maui Invitational. Thank you all so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week after what may be some orange L's or some orange W's. We'll have to wait and see.